0: All right, roll your shoulders, clap your hands, crack your knuckles, do what you gotta do. We gotta warm up, we gotta get in the flow, people. Here's what I want you to do, I want you to turn to someone next to you, and with great sincerity and authority, I want you to say to them, it's gonna be okay. Go ahead, just, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. If they don't look like they've received it, take another whack at it and say, no, no, it's going to be okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's vote this morning. Let's vote. How many of you, raise your hand. How many of you think it's going to be okay? All right, raise of hands. How many of you, not so sure it's going to be okay? All right. Got a few intrepid, uh, honest people. What would make you all the time feel better about most everything. Come up with something that is just gonna be like, well, whatever, whatever's going wrong, trump card, it's gonna be okay. What, what, what would be something like that? The bills are always paid. There's, there's like automatic payment, and you don't even know where the money comes from. All right, that's good, that's a nice one. What else? Like, they it's always gonna be okay, yeah peace in your home, no matter what else is going on in life, you come home, you walk in, ha, ah, it's okay, it's okay. In the warm bosom of your family, yes. What else, those are good. You guys are on today. What would make you feel like, well, whatever else is going on, it's gonna be okay. Anyone else? Like, people responding to me on Sunday morning would make me feel like it's going to be okay. Mia and, and then I want a guy. Men. Mia, what do you Vibrant health. Vibrant health. Wow. So no matter what else is going on in life, you feel great, you're full of energy, you're just ready to attack whatever it is. That's that's a great answer. Mike. You can still do the things you need to do. So whatever is going on in life, you manage to get done the stuff that is pressing on you, causing you stress and stuff like that. I'll take Larissa. You've got, what was the second phrase? You've got your people. So, that, so that's interesting. No matter what's going down in life, you feel like you got your peeps. You got, you got your homies, you've got your posse, you've got folks that are gonna have your back and take care of you, one of life's great safety nets right there, you gotta have people. I love that, uh, that, that that's, uh, that's cool. Uh, so it's gonna be okay, if it's gonna be okay, um, there's gotta be some reason, you know, make you feel okay. Uh, so how about this, how about, how about if, what if this life were just a prelude? Right? Everything that's going on now is just kind of like the prelude to all the good stuff that is for sure going to happen later. And what if what really counted was your intent in life and not the outcomes? You know, is that you were trying to do good, you wanted to do good. Not that stuff always worked out for you, but that your heart was in the right place. What if what counted was your heart's in the right place, and somehow there's gonna come another life where that's the only thing that counts. How about how about that? Would that make you feel good? Would that make you feel okay? Um, what what if there was a next life? And in that life, you got infinity, eternity, to work things out. You could make you could have as much time as you needed to get it right. What, what if there were a next life like that? Uh, there was no decay, there was no death, there was only growth. How about that? If you got to look forward to that, if that was coming, if that was the, if that was the weekend at the end of your week, how would you feel? Would things be okay? Yeah? Can I get snaps? Because of course, the next life and the eternity that I'm talking about happens to be precisely the promise of all this faith that many of us are following. It's the promise that was promised in the Bible many thousands of years ago. It's what most of us ostensibly believe. And when the Christmas displays come out every year, I think about doing Christmas and all the hoopla that goes with Christmas. But what I celebrate is that Christmas was done to me that Christmas was done to us, that it's really not about what I can control. It's about what for sure God is in control of. And what I try to celebrate is hope. I try to celebrate expectation for a certain future. That's what hope is, right? Uh, It's expectation for a certain future. Not faith, which is like confidence, but hope, which is like, you know, I'm going to choose to expect that one, you know? I'm going to choose to live such that my, my yearnings, that everything is going to be okay, uh, will somehow work out. Hope is a hard one for me uh, you know, there's that famous verse, 1 Corinthians 13. Now remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I don't know, I, I do so-so with love. You know, I'm, I'm, at, least, I'm at least on it. I do, I do okay with faith, generally. I can be really confident and very risk-taking person. Um, probably, I don't know, a strength of mine. Hope, I don't do so well on, because hope is all about the future, and, and I'm kind of a here and now sort of guy. I, I don't, Here, here's how I deal with the future. My entire experience of the future is what do I need to do today to make sure it happens, right? I'm very sort of nose to the grindstone focused and hope is more like, well, no matter what I have to do today, it's going to be okay later. You know, it's a little different spirit and that one's a bit of a, of a stretch for me. Um, I'm often, I'm not often filled with hope about things I can't control I don't often spend a lot of time just settling in hope about things that I can't control. You know, I have a pessimistic streak. (laughs) This shocks you. Um, And on a lot of days, I feel like, well, if I can't control it, what's gonna happen? Come on, pessimists. If If you can't control it, what's gonna happen? Yeah, disaster is going to happen, right? Because if you cannot control it, well, it's going to go wrong, right? Oh, come on, brothers. Somebody out there, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, you know, the style uh, in which I live a lot of times. It's like, well, you know, I try to control everything that I can, and it's hard for me to just kind of rest in things that I cannot control. And that's what hope calls you uh, to do. That's what hope calls you to do. Ultimately, there's just stuff that you cannot control. There are big things that you cannot control that you need God to come through on, right? This is, you're no way that you're going to bring this uh, to pass uh, yourself. I'm not so great at that. Uh, so when Christmas rolls around, uh, when I come to traditions that call me to hope or I read Bible passages that call me to hope I do it with a certain degree of awareness sort of self-awareness like ah this is something that I actually need to pay attention to. This is something that I need to meditate on Uh, and and Christmas forces me uh, to do that every year and uh, in spite of all the hoopla I try to do that with joy and expectation and hope. Who's with me? Twelve of you are with me which is, better, which is better than most. So I wanna read a passage today. Uh, it's one of many passages, many passages in the Old Testament that sort of predict Christmas in the sense that it predicts Christ. It predicts the coming of the Messiah. It predicts this fellow who came to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Um, one of, one of the things I do when Christmas approaches is I just, I, I so enjoy all the passages, all the predictive passages, the story of Christmas because they are so fantastically unlikely, which makes them beautiful and which makes them really reassuring to me that there's no way that this story could possibly be false because there's no way it could possibly be faked. Right? This stuff really happened. It followed some sort of heavenly script. Uh, I was uh, listening, and it was a, a, a YouTube video that came across my desktop recently of this uh, popular comedian. Uh, he's kind of known as an angry comedian. He rants a lot. And, and this was his description of Christmas as we enter the Christmas season. He's like, Christmas, yet another story of a teenage girl who got knocked up and stuck to her story and the crowd went crazy and gave him an ovation. And, and I was thinking, well, one, it's not really funny, and two, couldn't it possibly be the result of a teenage girl who got knocked up sticking to her story because there's so much else to it. No 13, 14-year-old girl could have possibly arranged the details through the centuries and around her and the reaction to her baby boy Jesus. I mean, just to think even for a moment that we celebrate Christmas because we were duped by a pregnant teenager is absurd. But there's a spirit in the world that wants to pretend that, right? There's a spirit in the world that takes that as comforting, you know? A room full of angry people who applaud when they hear that, yeah, Christmas is so fake, Christmas is so fake. Uh, not even possible, not even possible. You can say other things about it. You could say Christmas is not for me, but faked, no, not faked. So here's one of those predictive passages that reassures me and I think should convince the world. This is from uh, an Old Testament prophetic book called Isaiah. Isaiah is called the Prince of Prophets. He was pretty much the most famous prophet in Israel a uh, super long prophetic book. It's like 66 chapters. It's just filled with prophecies uh, about Christ. And this is a famous one from Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, this was written uh, somewhere around 600 years uh, before Jesus. Um, so well before uh, Mary got pregnant and the birth of Christ and everything that went with that. As you read it though, through the lens of the Christmas that we shall celebrate, um, it is eerily um, powerful. Uh, what's going on in, uh, we think of the nation of Israel at the time, is, uh, well, a bunch of bad stuff. Uh, the country is falling apart. Um, uh, they are being sent into exile. They've been invaded by, by um, well, a couple major powers, Assyria uh, being one of them. And being taken into captivity, taken into slavery. The the land of Israel is being depopulated, or about to be significantly depopulated. And Isaiah is writing into this catastrophic context. And he says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Who is Jesse? He was the father of King David. The most famous king in Israel, and the house of David, or the descendants of David, have sort of held the throne in at least a a portion of the nation of Israel. Uh, And um, around Isaiah's time, that throne kind of gets wiped out because the nation gets wiped out. Suddenly, there really is no king, right? And so Isaiah is describing the stump of the house of Jesse. It's like, it's been cut off. There's nothing going on. He says, oh, no, no, no. In the future, a shoot will come out of it. You will see that royal line bear fruit again. Uh, so let's just cut to the chase. Who is the descendant of David? Very famous around Christmas. Jesus. Okay, so this probably refers to him. If you're not clued in, uh, there you go. A, stump, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. So this this fruit will be a hymn. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, will remain on Him, will be an alternate translation. And the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. If you were to count up all of those spirits and properties, you would get seven. This is the sevenfold spirit of God that is celebrated in many of the other prophecies. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness or justice or fairness, that could be translated, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So, this new king will be, first and foremost, spiritual. A different sort of royalty, according to this prophecy. And he won't be uh, known for consorting with the mighty and the powerful, but by doing great things for those who are in need for the poor and those who have experienced injustice. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, or the scepter, some would say. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Uh, Probably better translated, he will slay the wicked one, the enemy. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Switches gears a little bit. Second part of the prophecy. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Nature itself will be at peace one day. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Nobody's killing anybody for food, in other words. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put put its hand into the viper's nest. This sort of fantastic safety. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This picture of a future that is entirely at peace. No death, no decay, no strife, no fighting. Snap your fingers if that sounds good. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner. This guy, this spiritual authority uh, that Isaiah is talking about, will stand as a banner for the people, and the nations will rally to him. Now, this is interesting because Isaiah is prophesying to one nation, his nation, but he's saying, well, someday this spiritual leader will will be um, glorified by... All nations, people all over the world, and His resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out His hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. So there will be a regathering of, of, of the Jews, of the people of Israel from all over the world back to their homeland. He will raise a banner for the nation and gather the exiles of Israel. He'll, he's gonna do this a second time, it says. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. In other words, there will be peace within the tribes of Israel. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west together. They will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, Moab and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The traditional enemies of Israel will be no more. The Lord will dry up the gulf of Of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnants of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. There's a lot in that passage and a lot of details and I might have lost you as I read it. But some pretty interesting things, again, all predicted and all described 600 years before Jesus came along. Um, when Jesus showed up, it had been about 600 years before anybody from the house of David had any sort of notoriety. Um, This describes not, you know, a mighty political or military leader, but a spiritual leader, a leader of faith that was given authority unlike anything the world had ever seen. 600 years before Christ was born, Isaiah was saying, there will come from the descendants of David, a spiritual leader that will be so powerful, ultimately he will be world famous and he will have a following from around the globe. Do you know how outlandish it was for a Jewish prophet in the backwater of Palestine to make that prediction 600 years before Jesus came along? you know how outlandish it would have been to make that prediction on the day Jesus died? It's just outlandish. It's absurd. But it came true, didn't it? It came true. What are the odds? There are no odds. It is just utterly miraculous. How a passage like this can exist in the scripture and people say of Christmas, well, it was just some pregnant teenage girl sticking to her story is just beyond me. Um, This is beautiful. This is mind-boggling. The Bible is worth reading. Y'all should do it sometimes. Uh, this leader sounds very humble, yet is described as having great power, weird power, so that he could like speak things and amazing stuff would happen in the world around him. Does that sound like anybody you know? It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, which is a very interesting phrase. It jumps out at me because John the Baptist, right before Christ started his public ministry, said, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. Here's the Messiah, the one on whom the spirit rests and remains. Consciously or not, John was quoting from Isaiah chapter 11. And then at Jesus' baptism, of course, the spirit descended upon him like a dove and he went on to do amazing things and the people surrounding him said, what is this, a new teaching? What kind of authority does this guy have? That was the social commentary surrounding Jesus. Again, all hearkening exactly to the language of Isaiah chapter 11. He will judge humbly and wisely, not by outcomes, not by what is observed, but by motives. He will judge those, he will provide righteousness for those who need it, not for the mighty and the powerful. That sounds like Jesus, what he did and what he taught. Um, He will slay the wicked one. Um, Not yet, but I hope it's coming. In Jesus, uh, most of the predictions we read, at least in the first half of this passage, come true, and they come true in an amazing way, a mind-boggling way, a miraculous way, as I say. You know, not not just that they came true, but how unlikely that a guy like Jesus would become the most recognized spiritual authority in all of history. Incredibly unlikely. But Isaiah called it. Everybody say, dude. Then there's this, this scripture of This description of of a future, a future of peace without death. We'll get to that uh, in a second. Right in the middle of the passage, you know, uh, the wolf will live with the lamb. Um, Get to that in a moment. Uh, But another powerful prediction, one that I long for very much. As a sign that that prediction is going to come true, the passage ends uh, with a different sort of prediction. It says uh, that, well, one, uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, will seek after this great spiritual leader. Has that happened? How many of you are Jewish? How many of you aren't? Yes, it's happened. How many corners of the globe do we have represented here at Blue Water Mission? All of them, yes, all of them. Uh, I counted up the different language groups spoken here. There's like, at that time, some, something in the upper 30s, as I recall. So we're doing pretty well. Um, so that came true. And then there's this prediction of the second gathering of Israel, which was really easy, uh, really interesting. Because during Isaiah's lifetime, there was the first destruction of the nation of Israel, and then a little while later, uh, <coughs> according to you know other prophecies, uh, they came back out of exile and they reestablished the nation of Israel. But what Isaiah says is, no, no. During the reign of this coming Messiah, during the reign of this promised one, like after Jesus' time, in other words, there will be another regathering. The ominous implication being Israel will be destroyed yet again. And of course, you know, that happened in the Roman Empire and subsequent troubles. And then Israel was regathered from the corners of the world again, right? Israel was reestablished as a nation um, in the late 1940s as it turned out Uh, began to be regathered from different corners of the world after World War II, which was not a good time for the Jewish people. Uh, But the Lord brought them. He made highways that didn't exist before exactly as the the passage predict, and Israel was reestablished. Nobody saw that coming. That was miraculous. There's not another nation in world history for whom that has happened, a prediction that was eerily accurate. So it came true, amazingly so, and that should be a sign to us It should be a sign that the middle part of the prophecy is also true, that the prophecy about this future, this idyllic future, and with wolves live with lambs and lions eat straw. Everybody goes vegetarian. Looking forward to that. Really looking forward to that. It's going to make going out to eat so much easier for me. Um All of these other weird, unlikely, miraculous things came true. How likely do you think that Isaiah's prediction of an idyllic future where there is no death or decay, how likely do you think that is to come true? Very. I got a thumbs up? I mean, there will be no death or decay on my holy mountain. all the animals are gonna live in peace. All the predators are gonna become vegetarian and and children can play with vipers and not have to worry. That's all pie in the sky stuff, right? I mean, that's that's sort of airy-fairy, you know, elementary school poetry kind of stuff, right? It's all utterly unrealistic, utterly unrealistic. Uh, And I absolutely would not believe it. But what surrounds it was dang near as unrealistic. That a spiritual leader should rise up from this nation that was at the very moment being destroyed. That the nation would be put back together in history. Not just once, but twice. it's, It's bizarre that Jesus of Nazareth would come to fulfill these words and so many other passages like this in the Old Testament. I would not believe in this eternal idyllic future to come were it not for the rest of the story, Uh, if you wanna summarize it like this, for the rest of, of, of the Christmas story, which we celebrate because of its fantastic unlikeliness. It's as if God is going out of his way to get you to disbelieve in what's coming and then, giving you all of these clues and encouragements to believe in what's coming. Man, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it in all the world. There's nothing like Christmas. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, you probably celebrate Jesus at Christmas time. That's the way the world looks. And that's not lost on me. It's a powerful, powerful event. Um, my favorite part of the passage is, is that verses 6 through 9, you know, the portrait of the character of the future. No killing, no death. Everyone knows God. Everyone knows God, it says. Um, If that's the future, uh, then I'm pretty glad Jesus came. Um, And if that's what the future is going to be, that's the future that I want to define me. Uh, That's the hope that I want to have in my life. And the only question for me is, well, if that's the sort of future that's coming, um, how shall I live according to it? I mean, what, what difference does that make in terms of my attitude uh, and my living? It is rare to find a lengthy passage in the prophetic books like Isaiah or you know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, whatever. It's rare to read a, a long prophetic passage like this that doesn't have a command of some sort. You know, even if the command is something like rejoice or fear not, but here you have this epic prophecy about, about Christ and about eternity, and it's completely devoid of command. It doesn't really tell us how to interpret it, how to respond to it. It just sort of leaves that question open. It's like Isaiah saying, oh, and by the way, in the end, it's all going to be okay. Close scene. You know, I would expect him to say, so party or, I don't know, sacrifice a cow if you're into that sort of thing or thumb your nose at the Assyrians who are currently destroying your nation or slaves rebel, Jesus is on your side, or something, you know, but instead he just says, no, it's going to be okay, it's like he's saying, well, whatever's happening, and however you want to respond, here's something that's not in your control, here's something that you can't control, just be hopeful, you know, just kind of deal with it however you want, you could Do Black Friday shopping for a bunch of gifts to celebrate it if you want to. I don't care, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Make your best move. Make your best move. Um, And uh, every time Christmas rolls around, that's kind of what I think. I think, wow, what's my best move here? Do I, A, wear a pointy Christmas hat and skip around the auditorium like Sonia? No, no, we're, 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 we're not, we're not voting. This, no, no. There, there is no command in this scripture. There's no command. I, I think you're missing the point of the sermon. All right, all right, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal, I'll make you a deal. I, I'll make you a deal and I'm, I'm 100% behind this. If everybody in this auditorium signs up and gets a ticket for the Christmas concert before the end of my sermon, I will put on the hat. Good, I'll wait, I'll wait for 60 seconds. You can go online right now, people. How many of you have signed up, how many of you bought a ticket for the Christmas concert? Yeah, so don't be indicting me about not wearing Christmas hats, people. be manipulated by the sheep. I'm the shepherd. You're complaining, but you're also buying a ticket, aren't you? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, get to it, get to it. If the concerts are sold out next week at service, I will wear a hat the entire time. Oh, and skip. I will, I will skip up to the stage to, to preach. Am I preaching next? I think I'm preaching next week. Yeah. Right there. I should invite some friends, too. Complainers. We digress. I was making my powerful closing point before so rudely interrupted. My life-changing point about the hope of Christmas. Make your best move. Make your best move. What's your best move? Not mine. What's yours? Um, I think, I don't know. Do you think this is true? I think, I think maybe more than anything, the person we are is shaped by the future we expect. I tried to think about that a lot this week. Do you think that's a true statement? I'm not entirely sure it's true, but but I, I, I can make this sort of statement. Like If you truly believe everything is gonna be okay, And that revolutionizes the person you are today. Absolutely revolutionizes the person you are. There are types of persons you cannot be that are disallowed to you if you believe ultimately everything is going to be okay. I mean, if you really, really expect there will be no death or decay on God's holy mountain that the future that the Lord is establishing is one in which you get an infinite timeline to work on whatever. Everybody knows God. Everybody is pulling together. Nobody is dying. Nobody is hurting anyone. If you believe that that future is coming, who are you? Who are you? And I've been, I've been trying to work that out for myself for decades now. I mean, I mean, do I really expect this future? One. And if I do, if I choose to live accordingly, who am I? You know, what, what do I do? What, what's worth investing in and what's not worth investing in? What's worth celebrating? What's not worth celebrating? How shall I go about celebrating? How shall I not? Uh, questions like that, I mean, is... Who are you uh, if, if this eternity is coming? And anyway, uh, that's what we're thinking about uh, when we celebrate Christmas. It's like, man, nobody could have seen this coming, uh, that this baby born to this disreputable single mom in a backwater called Palestine in the first century AD in a situation of radical injustice that not even his own countrymen accepted and... Uh, that this guy could become the spiritual leader of of earth. Um, Nobody could see that coming, except that a lot of people did. (laughs) 600 years before he came, 500 years before he came, prophets were calling it out even earlier than that. God had it planned all along, and so I think I can trust God's description of the future that's coming. Um, That's what I celebrate uh, at Christmas. How about you guys? Uh, Turn to someone and say, I think it's going to be okay. And I'm just going to give you a minute uh, to deal with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord can rest upon you as well. The Spirit of the Lord can fall upon you and remain The spirit of counsel and wisdom and power uh, can be yours this morning. I'm going to invite the spirit to come and just to deal with you individually. Uh, And I'm going to ask the spirit come uh, with a a message of of reassurance. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you to live accordingly. Holy Spirit, uh, please come into the room. fall upon us uh, as you fell upon Jesus in ancient days. We saw unlikely miracles in the life of the promised one, the Christ. We know that there are unlikely miracles in store for us in the not too distant future. Bring us a word of reassurance in our souls, in our very core this morning. We pray in your son's name, in his tradition, in his style. Let your spirit come and speak, Lord. What anxiety shall we lay aside? And uh, what expression shall we pick up? Come, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're in control and that we're not. Amen.